welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I'm Jay Warmke. And I'm Annie Warmke. You are. And today we're going to talk about working within the system to affect change, or can the same people who broke it fix it? No, I know the answer. Okay, that's the end of the show. We're already prejudicing this, but we're joined today by a very special guest and actually this is our 100th episode Whoa, of this, of this thunk it. so that's it's great. not possible so our our celebrity guests are yeah our, our, okay is, so uh, zach you're the closest we have to celebrity right. so please play that role it's, it's former congressman zach space and president of the sunday creek horizons uh which is a strategic communications issue advocacy and business development consulting firm operating in southeastern Ohio and that's straight off your website so I hope it's right so welcome Zach indeed thank you so much Jay uh, thank you Annie and thank you for uh, uh bringing me in for this momentous uh occasion the 100th <laughs> yeah. episode I'm I'm honored I'm not quite sure how momentous it is it it was quite a milestone for us but I think that that's probably the limit well if you had the broadband <laughs> we have you would know 100th episode is wow all right well Zach's going <laughs> to fix that so yeah. so tell us a little <laughs> bit Zach about about what you've been up to and and what um what Sunday Creek Horizons is up to Okay, great. Thank you again, uh, both you and uh, Annie, for the opportunity, Jay. So Sunday Creek Horizons is a, um, as you mentioned, a strategic communications issue advocacy um, and economic development firm specializing in the Appalachian region of Ohio. And actually, we're doing a little work beyond Ohio now. Uh, It was formed about a year ago. We're up to seven people now. Uh, So we're growing uh, all of our uh, staff from top to bottom have a direct connection to the Appalachian region. Either they were born there, they moved there after college, or have worked in that arena. Uh, and we're operating in a number of spaces right now, uh, primarily working with nonprofit or not for profit entities like local governments, um, working very closely with schools and healthcare providers around. Uh, um, uh, issues affecting uh, the kids of the region uh, as it relates to their mental and behavioral health. Uh, We did some work around the census, making sure that uh, those in the region stood up to be counted, Uh, continue to work with community action on uh, poverty uh, remediation uh, to the extent that we're able to play in that space. It's very uh, rewarding and something I'm passionate about. Uh, Doing work in the broadband space right now as well. Uh, just a number of fronts, uh, trying to make a difference uh, in a region that we're all passionate about. Well, one of the things you mentioned, uh, the expanding roles within your organization, and it occurs to me, you know, most regions, especially rural regions, have a real concern about brain drain. I think Southeastern Ohio maybe has a little bit of the opposite in that Ohio University is such a dominant player in the region, and a lot of the best and brightest sort of come into Athens and then fall in love with the region and want to stay on. Yeah, so, but it's a womb. It doesn't yeah. happen. You know, we'd love you to come and visit us. You've been to Zanesville many times, I know. But we don't, we've got a brain drain that's unbelievable. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the, the Athens County region, yeah, is slowly expanding out. But but are you finding that to be the case or, or is this? Indeed. I mean, from both counts. Uh, Annie's is right. Uh, we have, from a region-wide perspective, this is a generational issue. Uh, where oftentimes our best and brightest uh, leave and don't come back because of the lack of opportunities in the region. But 
Athens is is a bit of an island. Uh, in fact, uh, I've got three people now, actually four people now uh, in my company that uh, came through Athens, uh, graduated from high university from uh, urban areas outside of the, the Appalachian region and chose to stay there. And so uh, we're, you know, seeing the passion for this area. You know, I was, uh, interestingly, I'm, I'm Greek Orthodox and my priest once told me uh, that his most faithful uh, congregants were uh, converts, people who chose uh, to join the religion rather than those who were born into it. And I'm finding that the talent that I've been able to accumulate within our organization, uh, these young, ambitious, uh, passionate, creative thinkers, has been a real boost for our for our company. I think that's similar with the uh, first generation Americans. Often are the most patriotic, and this is true. You know, then and they come over on the boat from from Greece, and mm-hmm. uh, suddenly are Americans. You know, in their heart and soul, much more than. Those of us who take it for granted. Well, it's something that that certainly was uh, passed down to me from my grandparents who came over here from Greece. And uh, to be able to have stood on the House floor as a new member of Congress uh, in 2007, in January of 2007, and have my entire family who who were bussed in for for my swearing in. Um, My grandfather wasn't alive at that point, but... um, he was certainly in my thoughts uh, as I was being sworn into Congress. And that's really the, the American dream, right? That's what America is supposed to be about. He came over here, worked in the coal mines and the steel mills, struggled financially his entire life. But but he did that for his children and his grandchildren. And uh, we, we remain very grateful and thankful to this day. Well, one of the big challenges, I think, you know, broadband being number one to the economics of rural people. When you look at the election map and you see rural versus urban, you know, we better be doing something about it. And so I'm eager to talk about, (coughs) excuse me, I'm eager to talk about ways that whatever you're doing might link up with, for example, here where we have an electric uh, co-op that could be uh, pushed I think could be pushed to become a broadband provider, but we need to have some partners. And it seems to me like maybe you might be a partner. Yeah. So, so Zach, how are you going to fix this problem? Yeah. (laughs) I said partner. (laughs) I didn't say fix, uh, fix it. Uh Yeah. Well, I don't think the problem will be fixed by um, the means uh, that we've employed in the past. I mean, exactly. and I, and I I say this with respect because I think uh, any solution is going to have to incorporate uh, the telecommunications industry, but simply allowing market forces uh, to fix this divide has not worked in the past. So we need to be more creative in how we think. I think market-based solutions are certainly part of the answer, but this is, I mean, government matters and government can be a part of the solution. I'm hopeful and very optimistic, actually, in the with the new administration. Uh, we're seeing President-elect Biden uh, really taking great pains to talk about some of the challenges and aspirations of rural communities. Uh, and my hope is that we can use this moment uh, to begin thinking about things like the extension of broadband, which are so important for reasons that transcend technology, healthcare, education, economic development. Uh, I think this could we be we could be looking at a new day and couldn't be more excited about the potential. Well, I think well, that I the, think broadband the broadband really gets, gets to the heart of everything here because 
We see this with the educational system. Our students are more and more, especially in the middle of a pandemic, reliant upon the internet for education, and it simply is not up to the task in most of the rural regions. And we were talking about the brain drain before. Uh, lack of broadband is is probably one of the main motivations that keeps businesses and individuals from settling in this region. I think that's true. And I think that what we've experienced with COVID has really both um, demonstrated uh, the extent of that divide and that competitive disadvantage and exacerbated that uh, divide. But the awareness that it's bringing, again, brings uh, reason for optimism for me. I think that there's a growing recognition that no one should be left behind in this country. And there's a real sense among many Appalachian communities, not just here in Ohio, but across the entire Appalachian region of the country, uh, that we have been left behind. And I think that that is, in, at least in part, driving some of the political discord that, and, and the division that we need so badly to fix. One of, one of the things that I feel strongly about in solutions is what you said about we have to step back and say that what we've done in the past is not going to work now. But one of the things that electric co-ops have is a history of being that solution to bring electricity to uh, rural areas and because we didn't have it until they came to be. And so I, I just think we've got to create some really interesting partnerships between people like us who are small business people who really invest heavily in our region. And and we're not talking about Athens County. <laughs> we're, we're talking about uh, Muskingum County, but we are an Appalachian. Um, uh, we're in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. And so I just feel like I guess my question still is, what what do you see is a solution? If you were to say today, what what is a possible solution to bringing broadband even to a small area? So, um, you know, it, it, there is, uh, I don't think there's a silver bullet here, Annie, but I, I, I do think that history uh, can inform us uh, on the direction we should take here. And, if you, and I'm going to take you all the way back to the 1930s, uh, and you've referenced this, uh, when Roosevelt uh, pushed for and received the Rural Electrification Act, it was the rural co-ops that, that made all that happen, but it was also government stepping up and, and making sure that we brought electricity to everyone, regardless of where they lived. And we've seen the enormous uh, impact of that. Uh, it, you know, by bringing, by essentially flipping on the, the light switch into the Appalachian region in the 1930s, um, Roosevelt and the administration at that time really breathed life into the region. Um, we were able to essentially convert this region into the economic engine that helped power uh, the economy that, that became the strongest economy in the world. Uh, and interestingly, there's a, you know, there was a political benefit associated with that as well. That wasn't, I'm quite sure, the primary motive. But even to this day, here we are, you know, what, 75 or almost 80 years later, um, in, in, a, in a part of the country that is bright ruby red politically, still carries a lingering fondness for what Roosevelt did for them so many years ago. I think uh, lessons can be learned from that politically, but from a socioeconomic perspective, uh, the Appalachian communities up and down uh, the Appalachian region benefited from that act in both you know, their, their economic development, but also in things like healthcare and education, um, 
the magnitude of the improvement is so big that it's hard to measure. And I see a, a very comparable analogy when it comes to broadband. Uh, we can, you know, if we can figure out a way to crack this nut, we can uh, not only enhance economic development opportunities, but vastly improve the educational and healthcare experience that these the, the, the people of this region experience. Um, and that's not just good for Appalachia; that's good for the entire country. Uh, I, I see very promising uh, future uh, here, uh, and it starts with broadband. Doesn't end there. Obviously, we've got. Uh, you know, things are changing so dramatically from a technological standpoint when it comes to the production of energy. There is enormous opportunity for our region to put displaced coal miners back to work in sustainable advanced energy jobs, for example. Um, these are the kind of things that are uh, that have the potential to really uh, inspire great transformative change for our region and that will yield economic benefits for many, many years to come. In terms of the actual answer to that question, the specifics, um, I think it starts with, um, you know, figuring out ways that we can better connect to this federal bureaucracy. A lot of money has been put into this stuff, stuff over the years, hasn't quite worked very well. We see the FCC, for example, and the bureaucracy that the FCC has become, when they publish their broadband maps, they, they do so in a way that's uh, harmful. And, 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 and you know, I, I know that uh, some of the Ardoth auctions that have happened up here in the last couple of years have listed virtually no bidders. Um, something's broken. I think part of it represents figuring out ways to better connect federal government uh, to enhance local capacity and uh, identify, you know, those, those, you know, how, how can we bring capital into this region? Uh, what can the government do to help uh, create funding opportunities for broadband that, that work with uh, the market? I think the co-ops uh, were so important back in the 30s in extending electricity. I think I see an equal opportunity here. Interestingly, there are some really um, fascinating, uh, again, technological solutions around broadband that I think uh, could play well here. Uh, the new 900 megahertz spectrum uh, play that uh, utilities like co-ops or uh, public invested uh, utilities can actually create secure smart grid capacity by investing in their own broadband networks, their personalized secure networks could then be used to piggyback um, uh, the projection of uh, wireless into the most remote, remote corners of the, the region. Uh, that's new. It's, it's, it's exciting. I'm working with a group right now that's trying to figure out how we can parlay that into something meaningful and real. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you here just for a second, Zach, to uh, remind everybody that you are listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke, and also reminding you it is indeed the end of the world as we know it. And thank God. Yeah, the end of the world. Yes. So so we were just talking, you were, you were touching on, um, we're joined by Zach Space, a former congressman and president of Sunday Creek Horizons. And uh, uh, you were just talking about some of the new technological issues. And I I, I do want to geek out a little bit on that here for a second because <laughs> there there are some on the horizon there uh, with with like um, um, Starlink, which is the program mm -hmm. that's uh, envisioned by Elon Musk at Tesla. You know, having uh, four thousand low orbit satellites bringing broadband out there to rural um, the rural world, which is an option. But I, I all of these options that are out there, these technological fixes. I worry that we're in the moment struggling to try and get out of the dial-up age into the age when video is a practical application 
And just by the time we crack that nut, we're going to be left behind with the next big thing, you know, virtual reality and all of these things that are a 5G or 6G mm-hmm. technology. And we're going to be looking at it all over again going, hey, we can't do that. And and now it's critical to business. So is anybody, you know, saying how can we leapfrog ahead here and be be with the next with the next generation? Yeah, no, that's you raise an excellent point. Um, what we don't want is to be brought up to a so-called par and then find that we're behind the eight ball again. Uh, you know, as we, I think policymakers need to be mindful of that phenomenon by all means. I think that we need to do a number of things. You know, it's not enough just to make broadband available, although that's obviously uh, very, very important, but it's got to be uh, of uh, significant high quality, comparable to what uh, metropolitan communities enjoy. And it's got to be affordable. And I think it's, you know, again, we're on the, I think, the precipice of a, a new uh, day in, in policymaking in this country that's been brought upon by a number of uh, forces, including political and economic, as well as technological developments. But I, I suspect that at some level, we're going to also have to think about ways that we can ensure that uh, people who are poor and unable to afford broadband have the means to do so. We do that right now with other utilities like heating, for example, through a federal IHEAP program. We're actually actively pursuing at very early stage um, ideas around uh, creating a, a program at the federal level that will help fund uh, poor communities or poor households, uh, because this is no longer a luxury. Um, we've well, again, COVID has made clear broadband is a necessity. Every bit as important as electricity or or heat. Yeah, I think a lot of people are not really aware when I speak with folks who live in cities, knowing the disparity or uh, in in cost because. We struggle with very mediocre broadband here at our business, um, and and it costs us three hundred dollars a month to get really really bad access. <laughs> Less than to dial the internet, speed. <laughs> yeah. So um, and and people just sort of go, "You're kidding me!" And and it really is solely because there is one vendor and one vendor only, and yeah. and their pricing structure reflects that. So so I think it's important that you do talk about, you know, that you do address the affordability issue because most our neighbors, even if it were available, if they have to pay $300 a month, they're just not going to do it. But you know what else is that who's taking the lead? Because this is the challenge. Uh, I spoke before the Ohio legislature back after the pandemic began uh, about this issue. And there were several people on the panel that are living in rural areas. They were senators and representatives and they were complaining about the very same thing, but did anything change? No, they just act like it's gonna somehow fix itself. And so even the people who are supposed to be in the leadership in the government are saying, oh, we don't know what to do. So who's going to lead this charge? Who's going to bring together this collection and collaborative group that's going to be different than what we've had in the past? Well, I think it's up to all of us to try to change that dynamic. And I do believe that the broadband solution is going to be very inclusive when it happens. It has to be an all of the above uh, approach. And I and you just hit it, uh, Annie. It's it's going to have to be a collaborative and, and convening uh, enterprise where we're bringing everybody to the table. For example, I, I see what 
Um, Gary Reiser, who's the head of the GMM Community Action Agency in Southeastern Ohio, Guernsey, Monroe, and Noble Counties, he's been operating his own uh, nonprofit ISP um, business now for over 15 years, successfully. I see uh, the emergence of cooperatives out of Washington County right now in Ohio. Uh, I think I, I, I see a lot of things uh, moving in the direction of, of inclusiveness on this. So I think that the, the real critical element here is convening, bringing people together, being open to new ideas, sharing those ideas, listening to what, what each other is saying, and coming up with a broad-based policy that, that helps break down some of the barriers right now. So the, the uh, Brookings Institute recently issued a report on a very interesting regarding some of the barriers uh, to economic development in rural communities. I'm actually having a conversation with the author next week, but I, I'm, I'm really intrigued by the idea of bringing uh, the private sector, the public sector, uh, the nonprofit sector, uh, and the educational university uh, uh, level sector together to find solutions that work for everyone. Right. Okay. Well, uh, I know we're going to jump off a of broadband here because we could <laughs> we could be on this for an hour. But uh, you know, I think you bring up the uh, the point that these are not easy uh, problems to fix, and it will require a lot of brain power. And I guess from someone who's been on the inside, is Congress really as dysfunctional as it looks <laughs> to all of us? I mean, are are we pinning our hopes on an institution that really is not going to come through for us? Well, we've we've clearly seen the dysfunctionality of Congress in, in recent years. Um, and I, and, and, but I, but I said, having served in Congress for a few years and, and kind of understanding the institution and just as importantly, kind of understanding the mindset and the, and the personalities of the folks who are over there, I can tell you a couple things that I, with confidence, um, despite the function, dysfunctionality, most members of Congress, the overwhelming majority on both sides of the aisle want to do the right thing. Um, they're generally speaking, good people um, who work extraordinarily hard. They're staffed by very, very competent staffers, and they want to do the right thing. I thought I find promise uh, and hope uh, in that fact, um, but I do think that the solution is not going to simply come out of Washington D.C. I think regional collaboration is so very important, and when I say regional collaboration. I certainly say so in the context of southeastern Ohio, but also in reference to a larger, broader coalition among Appalachian states. I think that we need to do a better job of coordinating efforts across state lines. Uh, but my, my, my team and I at Sunday Creek Horizons were founded on the premise that the uh, Appalachian region um, has, not very, has not done a very good job of working together. And part of that reason is Part of the reason for that, at least in my opinion, is that historically, you know, this is an area that has been um, exploited for its resources at great profit for those who have done the exploitation. But oftentimes those profits have gone elsewhere and they haven't stayed in the region. Um, you know, we at Sunday Creek, we we tested this uh, collaboration convening theme out with the creation of a nonprofit this year called the Appalachian Children Coalition where we were able to bring folks together across sectors uh, in the uh, educational sector, <clears throat> healthcare sector, and the mental health uh, sector uh, to work in common uh, around issues impacting kids and their behavioral mental health. 
and the Appalachian Regional uh, or the the Appalachian Children Coalition now is we've got a great board. We've got two former governors who are bipartisan. We've got Governors Taft and Governor Strickland on the board. Uh, we've got former uh, Republican uh, cabinet members in our advisory committee. We've got strong former Democratic office holders. Um, we're proving that you know we when we when we work together and agree to put aside the competitive nature that seems to have been bred into us. When I was in Congress, I used to be. Uh, it was so aggravating to find out that uh, counties right next to each other were competing, uh, in some cases viciously for for new business. We're trying to change that paradigm so that these counties uh, understand that that we're all in the same lot and that when we work together, we're stronger. When we when we speak together, we have a louder voice. And um, what we've done with the Appalachian Children's Coalition, we're hoping to do with uh, issues like workforce development initiatives, broadband and others. Um, we are going to be better in the end if we work collectively and actively work to put aside our differences and uh, find the, the commonalities that we all have and work together uh, toward common solutions. Well, we're well, going to run out of time, but but I was hoping that you would give us one uh, one takeaway for what the future holds with our new government. Just one one takeaway. <clears throat> So I see uh, enormous promise in uh, how we produce uh, energy. And uh, I see uh, you know, the Biden administration or the incoming Biden administration clearly has made at least a vocal commitment to combating climate change and providing and, and at the same time a commitment to um, ensuring that the people of the Appalachian region are not left behind. And these two uh, priorities, I think, inspire very nicely for our region. Um, what we, you know, you can now buy solar uh, energy cheaper than you can buy uh, coal-fired uh, energy. That is a major change uh, from where things were just five or ten years ago, and that technology is going to continue to increase. What I'd like to see from this administration, what I expect to see, and by all indications we will see, is an emphasis on sustainability and advanced energy to provide these communities that have been wracked by the loss of coal jobs with new opportunities. I mean, it's not gonna be easy, but I see it to be a very promising area and field, not just for Southeastern Ohio, but the entire Appalachian region from Mississippi to New York. <clears throat> we need to do better with our educational uh, system, particularly in the, in the really the, the pre-K through uh, K-12. Um, in Ohio, we see, you know, this uh, again is a state-by-state -state, uh, 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 problem, but in Ohio, we have a, uh, uh, school funding uh, system that has been declared unconstitutional now multiple times by the Supreme Court, still not fixed by the General Assembly, but it's real estate based. It's, it's largely based on the value of assets that exist in communities. And so communities in suburban areas in particular, where there is a lot of wealth, a lot of nice homes, paying a lot of taxes, tend to have much better schools than, than the Appalachian community has. That, that Inequity in education is a fundamental uh, violation, I think, of, of everyone's right to a quality education in Ohio, making sure that every child, uh, regardless of where they live, has access to a quality education. By the time I'm ready to, to hang it up in this world, be able to look back and say, look, we've, we've brought parity in education. Uh, we're not looking for charity in Appalachian. We're, lo we're looking for, ch for parity. 
And, it, and it, education is, is the, in my opinion, the best place to start with that. Okay. Well, we want to thank former Congressman Zach Space, and we want to thank you for all joining us. You've been listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke, and we want to thank you for spending a little time with us. And as your grandmother hopefully told you, the secret to a happy and sustainable life is... Play nice with others, clean up your own mess, and eat your veggies, Jay. All right. Till next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> Amen. Thanks so much. Hmm? Yeah, thank you. I know the stars are dancing in the firelight. Soon we'll be together. Now we'll be revealed. Mother Earth will sing and her children will be You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at blurockstation.com.